Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is Dr. Jennifer Ocker and Naomi Bagdonis, and they have written most recently the book, Humor Seriously, Why Humor is a Secret Weapon in Business and Life and How Anyone Can Harness It, Even You. And it was an awesome book, loved it. And, and, it's, and, I, and I had a lot of questions going into it, and I was a little skeptical, like, can you really make somebody funny? Uh, by reading a book, and it turns out actually you can. And so I want to. Uh, I'm I'm very very excited to have both Naomi and Jennifer on the show today. Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. Now I do have actually one pre pre interview question, which is, you know, you've written this book about humor. I'm curious about the pressure you feel when you're on a podcast or a show or, and you've gotten great press on the book and the books of the bestsellers done well, you've, you're out there a lot. Like, do you feel this pressure to be funny? Do you feel like, like, I'm, like what is the stress that you feel to, you know, be funny? <laughs> so, that is a great way to start a podcast. How stressed are you? Naomi, yeah. are you, on a one to scale, Naomi, are you stressed? I think I'm like an 11. So I'm, I'm, feeling... I'm definitely 11 too. So yeah. Now, um, Naomi, can you just share a joke with us? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. That is my favorite sure. thing. Okay. Um, Peter, do you want to hear um, the best and lamest joke that you'll ever hear? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, yes, so this is a physical joke. So everyone listening can do this too. Put your finger up in the air, point it straight up towards the ceiling. Okay. And then I just want you to create a circle as if you're creating a circle on the ceiling. So just, yep. Keep it going in a circle, try and go faster and faster in a circle. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? Woo. Woo. <laughs> Who's excited to be here? Peter. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Okay, but I do want to say this, which is that humor comes from misdirection. So if people think you're going to be funny, then all you have to do is be unthinkably unfunny. And and there you go. I think that's how humor works. But you know, it's it's actually one of my questions. I'm going to jump right in to like a middle middle question because it's one of my questions about humor. And I have to say, one of the things I really enjoyed about reading the book is that. Um, I, it has helped me to appreciate and also taking your text-based course, which is the best text-based course I've ever experienced. I thought it was done incredibly well, really. And one of the things that it taught me, especially with using examples and seeing examples is I watch, you know, I watch a sitcom now or I watch a comedy and I understand what's going on and what's going on. So it kind of helps me to continue to learn you know, humor and how to be funny because I kind of see the secret sauce behind the curtain. I think I'm confusing metaphors here. Oh my God. Just throw in any cooking metaphor and we'll totally (laughs) get it and double down. Just throw in some paprika and some sugar and boom, you got humor. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I think, so here's my question. My question is when you're in a corporate environment, 
I'm really jumping in. This is probably against every rule of podcasting. When, when you're using humor in a corporate setting, you want to be careful, right? You don't want to offend people. You don't want to, you know, be funny in a way that, that, you know, hurts people's feelings or is misunderstood or, and at the same time, so much of humor is about being on the edge. It's about playing with um, the, you know, something that, you know, saying the thing that nobody, that people are thinking, but nobody else is saying. And, and then there's a lot of sort of corporate humor that's kind of like, whatever. It's like not that funny, but it's like, ha ha, like everyone's laughing and we're a little uncomfortable. But the really funny humor, I think, plays on, on, you know, doesn't make fun of someone necessarily, but play is a little risky. And risk is something we try to avoid a lot in corporate settings. So and I'm, I'm curious about managing that dynamic and how you help people manage that. Fabulous. Okay. So I think we get, there's probably multiple parts of that question. I'll take one, a whack at a first part of it. And then Naomi. All right. So one is just debunking the myths associated with humor in the workplace. So, um, well, first of all, no one's laughing. We have a lot of data to suggest, like over a million people ask, you know, a simple question. Did you smile or laugh yesterday? People say yes until they enter the workforce and then it becomes no. And it doesn't increase again until they retire. So there's, and that's globally, it's horrifying. Right. Um, and if you, if you ask people or you do research on like what's holding people back, there's really these, these different myths. And one of them is simply that, um, you know, I'm not funny and nor do I want to be funny. I'm serious or I'm efficient or, you know, humor is superfluous. Um, and then, and so it, you know, we really start to like, uh, basically bust that myth by saying it's not about being funny. It's not about cracking jokes, if that's not your thing. It's really about just showing up being human. And one of the best ways to do that with an, um, an eye toward humor is understanding your own authentic humor style. And everyone has one at work and in life. And um, in a moment, maybe we'll, we'll dive into yours, Peter, mm -hmm. but it's just debunking that myth. A second myth is just that the risks of humor are so great and they, they are great if you use inappropriate humor in context, but these humor styles give you a framework to understand what are the benefits and the risks associated with your own humor style as well as others. So that starts to give you some guardrails. Um, so that's just understanding the myths and then debunking them scientifically and practically is a, is a starting point. You, you know, also you say, and can I just start one other thing that you say that I thought was really profound, which is that humor is also laughing. Like if yes. you're, if, if you're in the office and you're laughing at something someone says, like that's bringing in a sense, you know, that, that levity that you're bringing to something is in and of itself humor, which I found fascinating. Totally. Yeah. And I think Jennifer brings up this really important point, which is our workplaces are so starved for laughter. And so we, we talk about what is the difference between levity, humor, and comedy. And it's easy to think of humor as being comedy, where we see, you know, Bowen Yang or, um, you know, Tig Notaro or whoever we like to see in stand up. And we think, okay, great, that's comedy. So do we need more of that at work? And the answer is, no, 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 no. What we actually need more of is levity. So we need more of people feeling safe to bring themselves to work, people 
sharing what's really going on for them off screen, whether it's a dog, you know, chewing on something or a kid screaming or whatever is genuinely going on in your life, bringing a little bit more of that to work. And so it's, it's less about jokes. It's more about having a culture, uh, more of a culture of levity. And to your point too, Peter, about how do we be safe? One of the first things we teach our students is don't ask yourself, will this make me sound funny? Instead, ask yourself, how is this going to make other people feel? Because the goal is not just to get a laugh. The goal is to make everyone feel better, feel safer, elevate the mood, diffuse tension. And that's really what we're going for. Right. You know, I remember this. I remember this moment. I don't know why this just came to me, but it was in an Eddie Murphy movie and probably in the 80s where he was he, he was at a table of all corporate people and he was sort of a con guy. And he said this joke about the wife of one of the people. I'm, I'm, there's so much I'm missing in this, but Trading Places. It was in Trading Places, in the <laughs> okay. movie Trading Places. And there was this utter silence. Like, like, you know, there was this gap of like five seconds where nobody responded and you didn't know if this guy was going to laugh or not. And he was like in the risk. Like he, he said this thing and nobody laughed. And then the head guy laughed and then everybody else laughed. Like they were sort of waiting for his signal to say, okay, you know, you can laugh at this, this was funny. But it was a really interesting moment. And I think people with humor often hit that moment where they'll say something and, you know, there's maybe even a millisecond, which seems like an eternity for the person who's like said the thing that might bring some levity into a situation where you don't know how people are gonna respond exactly. Yeah, totally. Well, and what's there's this other interesting research that um, even if your joke fails, so we have this this two by two because obviously we teach in a business school, so everyone loves two by twos. And this two by two is uh, you know whether or not you get a laugh and whether or not the joke is a, is appropriate. And we think that failure happens in this we don't get a laugh side. So whether or not it's appropriate, we don't get a laugh. We think that we failed. And actually, the reality is, as long as your humor is appropriate even if you don't get a laugh, you still enjoy increased perceptions of confidence and there's no real meaningful impact on your status. So again, as long as oh, you're keeping things appropriate, right. then there can still be a positive benefit to, to having humor. That's interesting. But you're it's right, like, that, that split second after you try is sort of like a- It reminds me of, of, you know, and I've, uh, Annie Duke, who I love has been on this show talking about decision-making and and she makes this great distinction, which is really clear between the decision that you make, the quality of the decision and the outcome. Like you could have a poor outcome to a really good decision because when you're making a decision, it's a percentage chance. There's a 70% chance that this will be the right decision. That's the right decision. But you know, the 30% might've won out. Mm -hmm. um, but what you're saying is something interesting too, which is that the, the just by being appropriately light you're gaining status and you're gaining, uh, you know, you're, you're having, you yourself are gaining confidence when you do that. And, and others' perceptions of your confidence as well. So it's actually how others perceive you. Too. Right. And you win, That's yeah, more chess games. Like everything, <laughs> everything good happens. You win more chess games. Actually, this is one of our favorite studies was um, showed the power of humor in sales and negotiations. And what these researchers found was that even adding a lighthearted line at the end of a negotiation, like my final author is X and I'll throw in my pet frog, 
increases a customer's willingness to pay by an average of 18%. Wow. Which is wild because that is an objectively horrible joke. I mean, is it always a pet frog or have they tried other things and you get a higher percentage if you're going to throw in your pet dog? Yeah, pet, pet dogs get you 70% more, pet <laughs> cats just plummet you like you have to pay them more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> um, so tell me about like, give us some tips on being lighter in the office. And, and here's, here's what I mean by that. Like, I'm not necessarily saying tell us tips to be funny, but you know, what I notice is, and I've written a little bit about this multitasking makes it impossible for me to be funny because mm -hmm. I, if I'm trying to do three things at once, like I can't, there's no brain capacity for lightness and relaxation. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm at the max edge of what I'm doing. And I think so many people are at the max edge of, of uh, performance these days that it's, you know, it's, it's hard to let go of that. It's hard to say, okay, I'm just going to really, really be present. And when I'm present, I can be funnier. What are some tips that'll, that help us to become lighter in the way we live life? Yeah. All right. I'll bounce into one. Let's okay. talk about just understanding your humor style. So this actually Wait, okay, goes... before, before you go there, can I just react to one thing Peter said? No. Okay. So I'm going to talk about humor style. <laughs> you go. Okay. So Peter, you said this, like when we get in our own heads. So Anne Libra, who's the director of comedy studies at the second city, we asked her, what is the first thing? Like you're working with someone who has no experience with comedy, no experience with humor. What's the first thing you have to teach people? And she said to get off of yourself, like just be present in the moment with everyone else be listening. And that is the only way that you're going to be able to find humor. And so we, we write in the book too, about this idea of presence, that humor requires us to be fully present in the moment. And that's absolutely sort of this first step to, to finding humor. Okay. And Jennifer go. Okay. So Peter, we know you took this quiz. You went yes. on to humorseriously.com and you clicked on quiz and you took it and you found that there's these four humor styles, right? One is the stand-up and they're bold and gregarious are kind of what we think of when we think of that funny person. So, you know, you think Amy Schumer, you know, um, Johnny Carson. Sarah Cooper, uh, Eddie yeah. Murphy. Yeah, yeah, trading places. Okay, second is the magnet and they're gregarious and they're more physical. They're kind of the light of the party. They walk into a party and everyone sort of laughs. They're a little bit goofy, a little bit silly. Um, so Naomi is classically trained as a magnet. So we'll just- Classically like trained as a magnet. She's classically trained. She's like a ballerina, but a magnet. <laughs> um, and then there's the sniper and they're edgy and they're dry and they're understated. So they're the masters of the under- Underhand, uh, underhand dig. Um, so you might think of um, trying to think who. Tig Notaro. Uh, oh yeah. Oh like, no, sorry. No, Tig is a sweetheart. Sorry, um, Michelle Wolf, Bill Burr. Well, yeah. Sarah some Silverman. people, some people in the family I grew up in. That kind exactly. of exactly your whole yeah. family. Yeah. Peter's family. Peter's family. And then there's sweethearts. There's like they're earnest and they're honest and they're more understated, like Bo and Yang or. Nicaro. So what did you actually score as your primary or secondary? Um... Okay. So I scored, uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm 36% magnet. So I was 
Um, that was my strongest. Just like Naomi. 30, hey, Naomi. Um, 36% magnet. I was 28% stand up. I was 22% sweetheart. And I was 14% sniper. Mm, cool. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this, Naomi's going to do a little analysis on you. So while she's writing oh, that good. down. Oh, good. I, I love analysis. Yes. Um, I can't we'll spend a lot of money every week on analysis. There you go. This, and this is free. Um, all right. So there's some risks associated with each of these styles. So, um, for example, people that score high on magnet and also uh, sweetheart, they tend to be um, prone to over-index on self-deprecation because they're so focused on lifting others and making others feel comfortable, which is great at high status levels, but at lower status levels, it can boomerang and actually compromise, you know, you know, feelings of respect or status, et cetera. Second is um, stand-ups and snipers tend to be at risk to, you know, because they often, you know, do a joke because, you know, it's a form of intimacy. If I tease you, it means I like you. They're often at risk to, you know, potentially offend or alienate others, often unbeknownst to themselves. And so what's really interesting in this point in time, especially at work, is depending on your goal, are you trying to create a culture of inclusivity and, um, and really make sure that others aren't alienated and offended and you can use laugh at life, uh, at, at, um, at life kind of humor, you might tilt into, you know, for example, magnet. Um, but in other contexts, um, you know, you might find it that stand-up or sniper is more differentiating or allows people not to be bored or makes a point. Um, and so being able to understand what are the different goals at work and, you know, for that matter at home and understanding how each of these four styles have advantages and disadvantages go so far to actually allow you to use it authentically, understand others and their style, because you can kind of diagnose or force them to take a quiz as I do my kids every quarter. Um, and it also allows you to start shifting your style as you start to adeptly understand these four styles. I, yeah. I want to ask a question, which is going it's, to, it's a little bit of a judgy question, but, and maybe because like when I'm on the receiving end of a sniper humor style, it doesn't feel good. Um, or I find it shuts me down or I find it shuts other people down or it creates less of a psychologically safe environment. So when you think of like humor, all of these positive traits that humor achieves in, in a workplace, for example, I would imagine that the sniper style actually contradicts that. And I'm curious what your research finds. So not not necessarily the sniper style just requires a pre-existing level of intimacy or knowing each other and so it's interesting is snipers and stand-ups will they actually report that they build intimacy through teasing and so for a sniper or a stand-up if you're on a team and you're able to have teasing and banter with each other that actually creates a more psychologically safe environment for those folks and part of that is they feel like anything can be put on the table Right, snipers and stand-ups really put at a premium being able to speak truth to something through humor. Mm -hmm. And so, but again, this requires some level of sort of pre-existing relationship or just some level setting of, hey, listen, this is my humor style. Um, if I ever ruffle your feathers, I want you to tell me. And please know that it always comes from positive intent. So we actually have a couple of CEOs that we work with who create these me 101s. So, you know, here's what you need to know about working with me. Here's my story. Here are my values. And here's my humor style. 
And as part of that, they'll go through, here's my style, here are my strengths, here are my pitfalls. You know, please let me know if I, if I ever offend you or if my jokes are getting super lame. Right. Interesting. Um, sorry, did I interrupt you, Jennifer, when you were like, when I- No, I was about to see if um, Naomi had any analysis on your particular- Oh my, he, yeah, oh, yeah, humor analysis. So I've, I've never done humor analysis before live, <laughs> but I'd like to give it a try. Okay, so Peter, based on your breakdowns, you're probably comfortable in front of a crowd. I am. Uh, others might describe you as outgoing. Uh, right. You might be a Pisces and you sometimes howl at the moon. Um, one of those four things is not right. Are you not a Pisces? I'm a Sagittarius, but I, there was a full moon last night and I howled at it. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's so interesting. I realize when I, when I listen to these types and I wonder if everybody feels the same way, you know, they might with a different outcome, their styles I want around me and their styles I don't want, like there's maybe I'm in the mood for some styles or maybe from some people I'm okay with some styles and from other people I'm not okay with those styles. Like we have judgments and preferences of, of humor styles. And, and I guess part of being funny or bringing humor into certainly corporate settings or leadership settings is to be sensitive to the audience and like what, you know, what already exists, the intimacy that already, it's different if you're a stand-up comedian and people are coming and sitting with, you know, sitting back in their chairs and say, be funny. But for a CEO who, you know, is looking out at a diverse crowd of people who may have been diverse in every manner of speaking, then, you know, I imagine what, how do you coach them? Like, I, I just imagine mm. the risk tolerance has to be a little less than, you know, if they're in an intimate cocktail party setting with a friend. Yeah. So the, the first bit of coaching is instead of looking for humor outside of yourself, look for humor in. And so instead of looking at like, okay, what can I make fun about there? Or what witty comment do I have to make about this third thing? make really simple observations about your own life and start from there. So we'll do this exercise and can't tell you the number of times that someone comes to us and says, okay, I have this really big talk. I want it to be funny. What should my opening line be? Or here's my script. How do I punch it up? And every time we'll say, great. We put it aside and say, okay, now tell me what's going on for you. What's true for you. Uh, what's, you know, what's stressful right now? What's going well? What are you nervous about related to this specific meeting? What's not being said in this meeting that maybe should be said? What is, what's the power dynamic, right? And so you mine their experiences in that way. So I'll give an example. Uh, I work with a, a CEO who we were talking about this and he said, well, there's a real power imbalance. And I feel it every time I walk into the room, walk into the room, everyone sort of hushes up and they don't see me as a real person. They see me as like this suit that they have to be really serious around. And so we did this exercise and he, and I you know, asked him about his life. He said, well, my kids don't listen to me. Is that something? I'm like, great, that's definitely something. Let's keep going. Um, and so he ended up opening this, this talk and saying, and naming the dynamic and saying, I want you all to act the same when I'm in the room as when I'm out of the room. And just a level set here, when I walk in this room, I'm the CEO, but as soon as I walk in my front door, I am the executive assistant to two teenage daughters and they work me. 
right? And so like, he sort of gives all these examples of right. how he totally caters to his kids and how they run his life. And it was really humanizing. It was very, it was completely true for him. And it's a way to have humor that is super safe, humanizing, makes everyone feel more comfortable in the room, which is, which right. is ultimately the goal, but the goal here. Right. And that's actually something that I really learned from the book and from you guys here, which is like, one of my questions was, you know, how, how do you be funny without being goofy? If you don't want to be like goofy, but I think one of the things I'm hearing from you is it doesn't really matter if you're goofy because what matters is you're showing a human side of you that some people may think is funny, some people not, but it, it lightens a situation that allows people to be more comfortably themselves and to think, even if you're being a little goofy, they still end up thinking more highly of you for the humanity that you bring. Am I understanding this correctly? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then another thing is just that, you know, do you love the joke? And, you know, after you, like, again, it's not about you being funny. It's about uplifting the room. But if there's an authenticity to it, like, you know, it doesn't matter how goofy you are, if that really does, like, actually just authentically make you laugh, that will have, you know, a, That's great essentially advice. a ripple effect right. and infectious impact on, on others. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, only the magnet style is really, truly goofy. And so once you get to know all your magnet friends, you're like, oh, you know, they're just, you know, being their, their authentic humorous style. But they can shift. Like, um, Naomi, not to put you on the spot, uh -oh. but do you want to do a different humor style versus just the magnet? Uh, Come on, show us. You can do this. You want me to do it? Yeah, you do it. Okay. All right. So I'm going to be a magnet now for a second. And I'm going to act a little goofy, a little bit silly. And that, so do you like that? I loved that. Okay. So I can do it for longer. Um, and then that might have been. I think we should use the rest of this podcast to just have Jennifer. I, I really dislike the goofy style in general, but Peter, to your point, now I love it. Like I see Naomi doing it, like three best friends do it. And now I can get into it too. And I authentically understand it more, mm -hmm. but my typical style tends to be dry and deadpan. So I will just wait for a moment to do that. Oh it will, it will happen. It'll, okay. it'll, it'll happen when you least expect it. <laughs> like I mean, So we should continue the interview or am I waiting yes. for it? Okay. Okay. And then it'll just come it, out. It will come out and it'll be a surprise for everyone. It'll be a surprise for everyone. Okay. Well, that's actually one of the things that I learned from the book too, which is that humor comes from surprise and misdirection, meaning yeah. like everyone's expecting one thing. And if you give them something else that, and I'm, and I'm seeing that, I mean, that's like, that's like the formula for sitcoms. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you really going to wear that? I kind of like it, you know, like that, that totally. kind of, you know, like that I'm driving you one way and then I'm going to shift to another direction. Totally. Um, and that was like, Oh, and, by the way, you just yeah. got that metaphor, Peter, you're getting better at metaphors. <laughs> that was a <laughs> metaphor that was coherent. Well, that's, Oh, is that a style? That was a little bit of a sniper. That was a little bit of a sniper. Yeah. Yeah. That hurt. <laughs> 
because she was she was implying that you were previously incoherent. Yeah, I was like thinking about what are the terrible metaphors I've used before, but I did. It is true that earlier on I mixed up some metaphors. Yeah, I mean it's so, it's so true. Like this, um, yeah, we think that there's this really complex formula, and it really is truth and misdirection. Right. So um, I saw this thing the other day. It said, "Sorry." I won't be able to make it tonight. All of my clothes look stupid on me now. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny as people are emerging from the pandemic, people are feeling self-conscious about, you know, whatever it is, we haven't worn actual clothes in a year and a half, right? Just these really small flips that lead people in one direction and then reveal whatever it is that's really true for you. Well, here's, I, I literally, right before the podcast, somebody sent me a text and it was a, uh, a little um, snippet. And it said, a European out of office message is, I'm away camping for the summer. Please email me back in September. And <laughs> an, an American out of office is, I've left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell anytime. Totally. Love that. That's contrast too, so, which is one of the techniques for finding humor is just look at areas of contrast in the world. And all of the, all of this is just making true observations about the world and about your life. I love that. And it's contrast and exaggeration, right? So it's exactly. like, yeah, right. It's contrast and exaggeration. Give us, and we're kind of winding up here, but I, I just want to, one of the things that I really loved and I, and I would love for you to um, and, I, and I saw it, I learned it in the text course that I took with you guys. And we'll have links uh, under the show notes for all of this stuff so people can uh, can participate in it too. The, the elements of telling a great story, like there's like three pieces of like, here's what goes into telling a funny story. Okay, so in terms of how do you tell a good story, we'll start there. So in order to ha have a good story, there has to be a hook, right? A reason for people to like look. Then there needs to be also um, a reason for people to care. And often that's, um, you know, that they, there's a, an actual emotional roller coaster that goes on that you don't predict necessarily. So you're kind of going with it. And it's very authentic. And then third, you know, there has to be like a real reason to actually, you know, remember at the end, like, you know, an aha or a surprise, or there's a reason you're sharing that story. So those are kind of basics of storytelling more generally. Um, so We'll start there. And then Naomi, you want to layer on like funny storytelling? Funny story? Yeah. Uh, was that what you, but was that was what you're referring to, right, Peter? Yeah, I was sort of thinking of the story. And I think it was in one of the stand-up comics that I followed the link to, who was talking about eating in a diner, I think it was. I can't quite remember what it was, but it was, I, I, I can't remember it right now, but I remember it was very funny. And it was, and 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 the extrapolation was like there's three parts of you know of, of how we're doing it and i i can't remember anything about it right now except that i remember that it was funny which i think is part of the point too which is you may not remember any of the specifics but you remember how you felt totally yeah yeah and and by the way you will remember specifics when there's humor too so this is one of our this is a wild um, so it, it makes sense because when we laugh, we release hormones in our brains that shuttle things into our short and long-term memory. And so this actually makes sense, but I remember vividly, it was 2011 and I was watching the, well, watching is a strong word. I had the state of the union playing in the background as I was doing work and I was sort of listening. And I remember president Obama at the time made this joke about smoked salmon. 
And I sort of perked up for a second and I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. Oh, he's talking about, you know, the different layers of government and how much overlap there is. That's interesting. Went back to work. Well, the next day, NPR surveyed their listeners and they asked, what is a word or phrase that stood out, the most memorable word or phrase from the State of the Union? And of course, you get this beautiful word cloud with things like hope and education and freedom and democracy. And the largest word of all is salmon. And so it, it is wild how, you know, we think about, often when we think about storytelling, we think about emotion, we think about uh, you know, being fact-driven, we think about all of the things Jennifer was talking about, but we don't necessarily think, okay, how do I create a moment where people are going to smile or laugh? Because right. that is really part of what's going to make this memorable. That's great. And I remember, by the way, now it was the story of playing the song over and over and over again. Uh, a guy walks into a diner and he keeps putting the money in and he's playing the same song on the jukebox over and over and over again. And it was, you kind of kind of painted out the elements that is what made it funny. Yeah, I love that. Um, uh, Jennifer Ocker and Naomi Bagdonis, it was terrific to have you on. Thank you so much for writing the book. The book is Humor, Seriously, Why Humor is a Great Weapon in Business and Life and How Anyone Can Harness It, Even You. I thought the book was great. I thought the course that I took was great. Um, and it, it, I don't know if it made me funnier or not, but it definitely makes me appreciate and understand humor that's going around me more, which I think then, you know, allows me to, uh, to then leverage it and use it. So thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Peter, thank, thank you so, you so much. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.